guys that um, are playing video games and having their sexual desires met by pornography are not a threat to anyone, right? They're house cats, they're not lions. Hi, I'm Evelyn Ray. Welcome to The Cauldron Pool Show. Today, I am joined with theologian, pastor, author, sometimes podcaster, Michael Foster, and I'm really excited to have him on here today to talk about his new book, It Is Good to Be a Man. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, it's great to be on. Thank you so much for the invite. Now, I've gone through your book. I've read it. I thought it was amazing. It was one of those books that every single... uh, (laughs) sentence I read, I thought I could use that as a grab quote. I could grab that, I could put it up and on its own standing alone, it had so much meat to uh, what it was saying. And I really appreciated your perspective, even as a woman reading the book about it is good to be a man. It helped me understand, I guess, the role of a man, especially today in society and culture. And also it helped me as a woman to, I guess, understand my um, inherited role um, and purpose in this world as well. But Unfortunately, because of the culture that we live in and the way that the world's going, you're probably going to cop a lot of harsh criticisms for your perspective on masculinity and men. Um, But before we sort of get into these things today, I'd love it if you wouldn't mind giving a little bit of a background of who you are um, as a person, what led you to this point and lead into what got you to write about masculinity and men um, to begin with. Sure. Well, I live in the middle of the United States called the Midwest. So I live in Ohio. I really grew up in this area in the state of Indiana, which is just 30 minutes from here. I became a Christian in my late teens, grew up uh, an agnostic atheist, just never took any religion seriously and uh, heard the gospel when I was 17. And wasn't apologetics or anything. It was just pure gospel. Holy Spirit convicted me. And Friday was an atheist. Monday, I went to school and was a Christian. And I went to the card catalog because I'm 42. So we still had card catalogs in our <laughs> library. And I looked up Christian and I one of the first books I, I ever got was Augustine's Confessions. So uh, that was the very first Christian book I ever read. And I read it that week, read the whole book. Didn't understand all of it, but I read it. And so I had an early interest in the church fathers. The church fathers were very much against Gnosticism, which is more or less a belief that says spirit is what really matters and physical matter, like stuff that things are made out of, is somehow fallen or less important. And so I was nursed on stuff that was anti-Gnostic and very much concerned with physicality as a lot of the early church fathers are. Now they didn't develop it the way that we've had to now because they were dealing with kind of different problems at the time. But so early on, I was really into that. Then when I went to college at Northern Kentucky university, uh, I started out as an anthropology philosophy student and had a deep interest in just culture, how, what makes, what shapes culture, what creates culture. um, What's the, what's the biological reality behind uh, social roles and all that. And that's where I started studying sexuality more academically and reading it. And I was much more interested in kind of some of the more abstract, larger ideas than I was and what it meant to be a husband or a father. Uh, It was just more of that kind of disconnected academia. Um, But there I was reading all that stuff and and was very much into that. And I've been so I've been reading all this for uh, since I was like 18 years old. And uh, I was a youth pastor back then. And a lot of the people that went through my youth group, by the time they got to their 20s, they started asking me for dating advice and marriage advice. And through that time, which was the 2000s into 2010s, I saw a lot of things shift and change. And I found that the advice that I was giving felt like it was from a bygone age. Um, The internet and social media, uh, pornography, everyone having mobile cell phones, all that really changed everything in a significant way. And even someone who I'm not that old, I'm uh, either a geriatric millennial or the youngest of the Gen X, depending who you ask. Uh, uh, So I'm not like a boomer or even an old Gen X, but I was born right on the fracture of culture in between the analog 
switched to digital and the consequences that we're still dealing with. I think technology is the Lord, it blesses us with it and uses it. I think it's this weird, it's like basically the internet was like a seven-year-old having a Tommy gun or something, <laughs> you know, Tommy <laughs> guns are good, but we weren't ready for it. And we're kind of dealing with the consequences. I think we are figuring it out. But um, as I listened to their problems they're dealing with, and how they described women, I was like, women aren't that bad. Women are bad. Like everyone's bad. Everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone needs to be born again. But they were, you know, t- telling me some of these things. And at first I was very skeptical. I just thought they were kind of weak. Um, and they were exaggerating. But more and more, these guys were tall, dark, and handsome, uh, successful career men. And we're really struggling in the Christian dating market, relationship market, whatever you want to call it. And so I became much more interested. At the same time, I had a friend of mine that I think he kind of got red-pilled by Jordan Peterson, who I didn't know who he was. But he kept talking to me about Jordan Peterson. And I was like, all right, I'll go look this guy up. So I watched Jordan Peterson, and I see the amount of views on it. And I, and I realized all these young men are listening to him. Uh, so I start listening to him and I'll be honest, uh, he annoyed me right away. Cause I just saw the Jungian, uh, approach, um, sounds like Kermit the frog. Uh, but the more I listened to him, I realized that he really, really was trying to help young men and he did have courage and he, he won my respect in that regard. Even if he wasn't what we would call a biblical Christian, uh, he was doing something that pastors weren't doing. So I started to go down this, this rabbit hole where I uh, started watching oh, these young Christian men were telling me how they're watching these guys. And I go look at them and they're like basically pickup artists. These are guys that know how to get, how to appeal to aspects of a woman's biology, nature to get her to sleep with them. Right. And, and I'm like, why are these young men watching this? So I'd watch these guys and then I'd realize that it wasn't, not all of them are as hedonistic as you thought. And it was more about here's how you get women to be attracted to you. And these young men don't know how to do that because they come from broken families a broken culture. And then some of the stuff I was like, there's no way this works on a woman. There's just no way. And then I thought, well, you know, there is one way to find out. And I tried, <laughs> I tried some of this stuff out of my wife and sometimes it worked. <laughs> sometimes it, sometimes it annoyed her. And she's like, what are you up to? And I was like, I'm researching some stuff. I just want to know. <laughs> so, so then I then I started listening to all these uh, these women men's activists. They call themselves anti-feminists. Um, so Karen Strawn was one that was really well known for a while. You don't hear about her too much. She had a huge YouTube channel. It was really fascinating, and they were talking about all these issues you never heard in the church anymore. And but these young men, you look at the comment section and then you start to realize that a lot of young Christian men are listening to this because they can't find it anywhere else. Because basically what the church tells men is that if a woman's bad, it's because a man failed her somewhere. Right. And we say, well, Adam, we all fell in Adam. Adam failed us and we fell in him. A woman's bad because she has a sin nature and women can make terrible decisions like men can make terrible decisions. And, um, and we all need redemption. And, uh, but they say, it's your fault, man up, you know, and someone that doesn't know how to be a man telling them to be a man doesn't make them a man. They don't know how to, like, if you're going to tell someone to man up, you got to tell them, here's how you do man up. Here's the steps you take. Here's how to learn eye contact and have some confidence and add some structure and discipline to your life. You know, they, they weren't, being taught that in the church because the church was just kind of condescending to them. So we were losing men, gushing them out. And I didn't want these men to be going to these sources that are so mixed. You know, Peterson seems to be heading towards a more orthodox Christian worldview. A lot of these pickup artists are broken people, right? To get a big book, you get a woman to sleep with you. Right. Like that is life is about way more than sex. The healthy relationship has has sex in it, but uh, it also has just hanging out and just building things and enjoying kids and building a life together and all that stuff. Like they're just learning this one little sliver that's not 
that is a really product of a healthy relationship. And those pickup artists are pickup artists because they come from broken homes, you know? And so they're learning about sex from people that don't even understand how sex fits in the bigger picture of a marriage and in family and God's purpose. And they're going to these women that are anti-feminist. But the thing about the anti-feminist that's very strange is you realize slowly they're androgynous. Even they're against, they're against feminism because they think they, uh, they're, they're attacking men, but the answer is for men and women to be treated equal. All right, I'm all right, okay, what do we mean by equal, though? Do we mean equal in the view of God, that they have equal worth and dignity, they're equally bear the image of God, or do you mean same? And you slowly realize that they really just think men and women are interchangeable, and that's not biblical either. So they're listening to Jungian philosophers and psychologists, broken pickup artists, women that are peddling androgyny, probably from a sincere place. It's not good. And so we wanted to enter into that world, create content to, to reach these men, understand why they're returning to this. And that, that's slowly where this, this book came out of, you know, and, and my friend Nan and I, Nan's over in New Zealand, he's a Kiwi. Uh, we argued about all sorts of things, but it turned out he was researching a lot of the same things that I had researched. And um, we, Emily and I had a happy marriage and we were coming at it from a different place trying to help these people. And I, uh, we, we used to jog together every afternoon and we would turn around at, at the Goodman's house. It was like a mailbox that said the Goodman's. And one day I ran and I thought, yeah, it is good to be a man. And I thought, that's kind of catchy. It's good to be a man. That's what scripture <laughs> teaches. Like it's a simple, positive affirmation of God's masculine design of the male person. Okay. Mm. And so I went home and I registered the URL and started thinking about a podcast and created the Facebook page and was at it by myself for about a month and a half. And then I asked non-tenant and I said, Hey, I don't like to do things by myself. You want to, I've got this idea of this project. It's not a ministry as much as a project. Let's create a systematic theology of masculinity, but it ended up going a much more practical because that's not really what our book is. It went a much more practical way to help guys who are in the thick of it start getting back their masculinity and heading in a, in a positive direction as defined by scripture. So that's kind of the background. A long yeah. answer, sorry. No, don't apologize. It was, um, it was interesting to see how it came to fruition and where it sort of came from. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely something that is incredibly needed uh, for Christians. Um, and it's interesting you mentioned, you know, Jordan Peterson and all these secular sort of, uh, would you say mentors or idols or people like heroes that a lot of Christians are turning to? I think it shows that there's obviously a void. Nature hates a void. And when there's a void, you need to fill it. And you can obviously see that that's what's happening. But, you know, I, I've always said that something that a lot of us Christians and people who are more conservative with politics do is we criticize more liberal politics uh, and, and people in that sort of ideological worldview. We, we criticize them for pinning up criminals or bad people as martyrs. And I think similarly, we, we unfortunately, those of us on this side, we do something similar to that as well, in that we place all of our hope and we place all of our answers in men alone. And I think that what we certainly lack is godly solutions. You know, we can point and we can right. complain, but we have to point to something greater. And the the greatness, the goodness and the, the answers to things doesn't rest in men. It, it rests in Christ and the regeneration of man and the sanctification of him. Um, and so I love that your book is that very answer. It talks about men, um, not not from a humanistic worldview, but from a godly worldview, and it gives, it fills that void with what we should always fill that void with, and that and that's Christ. And so I, I really appreciate that you do that, and that you're offering tangible, practical 
uh, godly solutions to the culture and to um, the problems that we're sort of seeing today, particularly for men. Um, and so, yeah, it was really encouraging reading it. I wanted to sort of get into sort of how you started the first chapter of this book, which was about the patriarchy and the way that our culture is sort of shifted. You have all these slogans that are out there, you know, smash the patriarchy. Um, and you have all these feminist movements where men even are included saying, you know, toxic masculinity, let, let's get rid of the patriarchy and all these horrible things. But you go into what the patriarchy actually is. And you also go into the fact that the patriarchy is inevitable. You can't really escape it. So I was hoping you might be able to sort of explain to the audience who are listening what you mean by those things. Um, and if you can kind of define the patriarchy um, and yeah, explain sort of um, whether we can escape it or not. So part of what, how I'm wired is I like to take my opponent's terms and dig into them and uh, well, take them from them. And so I, they try to make us ashamed of the word patriarchy. And I've noticed that both egalitarians, those that emphasize the sameness of the sexes and complementarians, those who say the sexes are different and complement each other, but they often don't really root it in anything firm. They, they kind of have are stuck in this, these gutters and what they continue to talk about. Just the conversation wasn't moving forward. So we decided we wouldn't use those terms and we would go a different direction how we addressed it because we wanted to force people to think about their labels, think about what they're saying and, uh, and not really know what to do with us, you know, like purposely confuse them a little bit to say, you're going to have to think about this a little more. And we do that where people say, are you patriarchal? Well, nature is patriarchal. Like God is a father. So God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. Uh, so father isn't a metaphor placed on God. God is the archetypical father from which all fatherhood gets its name, as Ephesians says. And so we learn what it means to be a father from the fatherhood of God. Then God, the father makes uh, the first man, Adam, who's the father of us all. Um, and then Adam has a responsibility that he doesn't keep. He falls into sin. His wife's deceived. He goes along with it willingly. And then in the, in the curse, he says, because you listened to the voice of your wife in chapter three of Genesis, uh, that this is going to happen. And then there's this promise that a redeemer will come from, from Eve. So women, uh, just as she plays a part in the fall of man, she plays a significant part in the redemption of man. It's beautiful. But the promise is of a coming son. And that promise is passed down through the patriarchs. So if you look at genealogies, you know, it emphasizes basically the messianic line. And uh, so our promises are the promises of the fathers. That's what they say. So even the promises of redemption are passed down through a patriarchal line. So it's patriarchal, the promise of redemption. So uh, creation, we're made in the image of God. And for a man, uh, he exercises that through being a patriarch. Um, and then in the recreation, uh, we have, we're made right with God, the father. So we go from being sons of the devil. So those that take on the nature of the devil, na namely a, a rebel that doesn't submit himself to the word of God. So that's what makes you the son of the devil. In that sense, you move from that to now being a son of, of God. And what happens? What does our heart cry out? According to Romans, Abba father, right? So even the promise of the gospel is patriarchal in the sense that now we are reconciled to God and we take on the image of our father more and more as we're uh, conf uh, conformed to the image of God's son. So really patriarchal, the patriarchy is inevitable. It's part of the, the, the cosmos, the word cosmos. When we hear it, we think about like supernovas and black holes and stars when scripture uses it. And even ancient people use it, what they think of, is they think of this structure of reality, both the spiritual, physical structure of all things. And patriarchy is part of the cosmos, the, the created order of all things. That's why almost all presidents or prime ministers or chief leaders are male. That's why the head of corporations are male. That's why most uh, board members are male. You say, well, there's these other. Um, 
exceptions. Well, of course, there are exceptions, but still, even in such egalitarian feministic times as ours, all those top positions of leadership are still held primarily by men because it's built into us. It's just how things are. And there's a guy named Stephen Goldberg, who's not a Christian. He wrote a book called Why Men Rule. Originally, it was uh, published as The Inevitability of Patriarchy. And Margaret Mead, who's the mother of anthropology, again, a feminist, really to blame for a lot of the sexual chaos we have now. Margaret Mead and uh, Kenzie are two American scholars that push the sexual um, revolution. Uh, you know, Margaret Mead says she, she goes over to Samoa, writes this book, Life in Samoa. And basically the, the premise is they're transgender and it's normal and they, they're freewheeling when it comes to sex and all this stuff. And they have a low view of adultery. It's not that big a deal. And, uh, and it was all a bunch of lies. <laughs> like she claims to have learned to speak Samoan in two weeks, which is just not possible. Um, and then when people went and back, uh, like looked at her research, they found that she wasn't telling the truth. And actually they had a high view of like of a, a divorce and adultery, and it still had capital punishment on the books. They weren't killing people for it, but on the books in their society, they did. Um, were there some people that had some uh, ab aberrant sexual practices? Sure. But what was going on in Margaret Mead's life at the time? Well, she was engaged in a lesbian uh, affair. <laughs> so she's going out to Samoa. So she's just justifying her own life. There's a book by E. Michael Jones that he covers all that, and it's well known. Um, and so that whole world, all these things have, are built on lies. And yet Margaret Mead, when she reads Stephen Goldberg's inevitability of patriarchy, gives it four stars. She gives it thumbs up because he was, he was, she was at least academically honest there that he did good work. And he shows that there is no such thing as a matriarchal society, matrilineal, where you trace your lineage through a woman. Sure. But matriarchal where women are the prime leaders in society, the house, the, whatever religious organization they have. It just doesn't exist in history. It's, it's a fiction. And it's because it's, God has designed the world to be that way. And so in that sense, patriarchy is inevitable. But some of those societies are still evil. They have false religions. Uh, the men are abusive. Um, and they're, but they're still, it's, they're still at the top because patriarchy is part of things. So you have this, uh, it's like sex, sex as in uh, the erotic, that it's natural for a man to be attracted to a woman. It's not natural for a man to be attracted to a man. That doesn't, so the, the unnatural is always sinful. The natural can be moral or sinful. So uh, it's, it's good for a husband to be attracted to his wife and they should enjoy, enjoy the uh, marriage bed. It is not good for a boyfriend and a girlfriend to enter into fornication. So something natural still can have sinful manifestations. So it is with patriarchy. If you have a guy that has, he has God given leadership, authority, all that stuff, but he's using it for a purpose other than which God has delegated to him. He is an evil patriarch. And you see that in Pharaoh, he's an evil patriarch and uh, evil patriarchs tend to want to uh, use men or destroy men towards their purpose. And that's what we really are living under right now in all of Western society is we're living under an evil patriarchy that has, um, is using women against men because there's a, a, the middle of, of organizations right now, governmental and uh, even corporations is largely policed by women, um, full of women who are hard workers and smart and diligent and all those things, but they, they're in that space, as Jordan Peterson's pointed out, because they tend to be a little more compliant. They're a little easier to, to, to manage, and um, not at all. There's some women that aren't, <laughs> but um, so we, that's where we're living right now. So it's inevitable. It doesn't mean everything, something being inevitable doesn't mean that every manifestation is good. And we wanted to start there because we wanted to point out there is a patriarchy that should be smashed. Any patriarchy that takes on the character or nature, the father of lies, the devil, should be smashed. And, and, and it will be smashed. Christ will put all his enemies under his feet, right? 
And the patriarchy that we're after is the patriarchy that conforms to the commands and design of God as revealed both in nature and scripture. I was going to sort of lead into it, but you sort of answered it there. Like, can there be an evil patriarchy? Which obviously you said yes. Um, and I, I read that in your book and you sort of had three points about things that make the patriarchy evil or an evil patriarchy. One, it harnesses men. Two, it pacifies men. And three, it destroys men. There are three things for an evil patriarchy. Now, what what sort of things um, are you seeing um, to help, I guess, push that evil mission? So what, what sort of things are you seeing out there that are pacifying men and harnessing men and destroying men? Sure. Um, the one that I've been getting a lot of bad press on recently isn't from feminists, it's from men. So we do um, criticize video games at some level in our book. Um, and I'm not anti-video games. People all think that. I'm fine with recreation. Uh, the point that we were making is that video games are very masculine in their design. They're about conquest. They're about measuring your performance. They're about usually working together as a team. Um, and so those are things that very much appeal to a man. And that's what makes those games so fun for guys. That's why guys, uh, there's, there's games that women play and there's games that guys play. Now, people will point out that there's a lot of women that play those games, but they play those games on Twitch, right? And it's because they love the attention that they get from that. And that appeals to a woman. They, like you look at those women, uh, the ones that have really big streams. And if you take that woman out and put a guy in there that plays at that level, they, they wouldn't have the big streams that, that they have. I mean, everyone knows that. Um, so men play more video games than women by far, and especially those conquest related games, but they're conquering a digital realm at the expense often of real, the real world. Um, and people can say, well, it teaches you about strategy and hand-eye coordination. What I would say to that, fine, as long as that actually goes into the real world where they're developing their vocation and their household is in order and they're, and they're actually uh, having dominion, uh, bringing God's order to where they're at. Um, and uh, if they're doing that, that's fine. But so video games is a way though, to take male desire and, and to distract them. Another one would be pornography. Um, pornography uh, is uh, it's, it's, the number of women using it is going up significantly, but it still is mainly a male thing. When you look at uh, the, the number of addictive users, the, the consumption level. And so it used to be that if you wanted to have sex, you had to work for it. Um, people didn't just give it away and you had to, you know, a woman's not just going to sleep with anyone. A woman's going to want uh, a high value guy. A guy has got his life together. And, and so the guy would have to try to become that guy to the best of his ability. But now it, he doesn't have to uh, work at that. Uh, he can just, you know, get high def porn of whatever type he wants right to his phone free of charge. And there you have to ask, why does our culture allow something? I mean, think about liberals that supposedly love women, supposedly. What in the world? it is good for women when it comes to porn. Like you want to talk about straight up objectification. Uh, it, like a lot of women's first sexual experience involves being choked because of pornography, because these guys watch pornography and because of BDSM culture, it's teaching them that women want to be choked. And there may be some out there, but it's a minor. And even that is a twisting of a woman's desire to have a strong man. Um, but that is destructive and abusive towards women and it te and teaches men to think about sex in a broken way. Now, why are they doing that? Well, it's, it's from a governmental standpoint, it keeps men pacified. Guys that um, are playing in video games and having their sexual desires met by pornography are not a threat to anyone, right? They're house cats. They're not lions. They're little kittens. And, uh, and so... That's one way that they're being pacified and they're over social media. You want to get into like the Christian world on social media. Everyone's a genius on social media. They have it all figured out and they can argue for hours and hours and hours. But when you meet these people in real life and you look at the excellency of their life, 
they, they've got everything down in their head, but they're not practicing it. So now we can go into these digital realms uh, that don't require the same level of forethought, uh, personal discipline, um, and, and have a simulated version of that that's gratifying to us at some weak, low level, but enough to keep us coming back. And those men are not going to turn over anything. But those of us that start to unplug and say, whoa, 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 you're going to pass what tax levy? Or you're, wait, you're taking what rule from us? Or you're saying we can't have guns? Or, you know, those of us that are awake. Uh, and then you realize here in America, I don't know what it's like in Australia, uh, other than it seems like it's a prison colony again. But, um, <clears throat> but here in the States, you can take over a city council a lot of times with like 200 votes. You can be on city council for 200 votes. You know, uh, once you get 200 votes and take over city council and and start to change things here for your children and for your neighbors and, and for yourself, uh, they don't want that. They want to keep these these tyrannical governments, these social engineer people, you know, for example, TikTok is a Chinese app and there is a Chinese version. The Chinese version of TikTok, which goes by a different name, its algorithm encourages the. Uh, it ha- it's built to encourage them towards productive things. So, like kids building cool stuff or whatever. Where TikTok for the rest of us is people doing stupid dances uh, or doing things that are very, very uh, degenerative. And so, why are they doing that? Well, they're keeping their enemy weak, and it works. You know, our kids are being polluted by it. So, those are many ways that it's happening. Mm. Yeah, it's really sad to watch, especially because um, a lot of people, I'm not sure if there's spiritual blindness happening, but a lot of people don't want to see what's sort of staring them straight in the face. Um, and, you know, you you mentioned pornography. I think it was um, Doug Wilson. He sort of spoke about how it's, you know, there's nothing more gamma than a man who watches pornography because, you know, you're basically the hyena. You're watching the prey get taken and you just sit and get the scraps. And it's a very gamma thing. It's not a very alpha male thing to do. Um, and I think it was Doug also who said that pornography has been weaponized. It's a weapon against men, yes. which I wholeheartedly agree Absolutely. with. Um, and you can see it. Um, you know, I worked in law enforcement for a number of years and part of what I had to do, I worked in the child abuse squad. So I came across a lot of awful things um, that I had to sort of witness and see. And I I, I saw lots of men um, who fell into the child pornography spectrum. It all came from normal heterosexual pornography, but it was this trajectory, this this sort of snowball effect. And I watched over many years of watching these pedophiles, the degeneracy get worse and worse because I couldn't yep. climax or get or get that dopamine hit, adrenaline mm-hmm. hit from just regular things. And so it's a very slippery slope. And I think Ted Bundy, the serial killer, he goes into this as well in some of his interviews. Um, and so you can see how pornography is just destroying our men. Um, and, and as as you said it pacifies them what greater gift does this evil patriarchy do than get men to sit on good men to sit on their hands and do nothing right. yeah and so you can kind of see how it it does pacify men and it does do all these things um video games um you mentioned that and i agreed i think a similar logic can translate into the feminine world as well in so far as that Um, you know, women who work, for example, I always say, I have no issue with a woman who works as long as it doesn't come at the cost of her number one responsibility, which is the home, which is uh, being a wife, which is being a mum, And I, I often always say as well, I don't think that you can have a career and you can do those things. I think one always comes at the cost of the other. And I, I'm yet to see a tangible example of where you can have one without sacrificing the other in some way or another. I guess it's similarly mm-hmm. with video games. It's like you can do that as long as it doesn't come at the cost of your family um, and your role. I mean, who could, who could be a doctor and a lawyer at the same time, right? And so yeah. the, the problem is, is that women have a low view, have been taught a low view of motherhood and household management. 
They don't understand how dignified it is and how powerful it is. It's not the sort of thing that you can do on the side. And, um, and people say, well, what, what about fatherhood? Well, they're, they're different in their nature. Motherhood, like you look at um, a woman's design, um, a woman is like, just take breastfeeding. Part of a woman's, what she does, the, the physical, you know, images, the spiritual, she has to hold the children close, right? They're close. In. So a woman, uh, she's like, even our bones are different. I mean, you're a police officer, you, you look at bones and you're like, those are softer edges. That's a woman. You can look at her hips real easy and tell whether or not uh, the reason a woman's hips sway is because of the way the bones are, are, are there, you know, which is more accentuated um, during different times of the month. Uh, but uh, so motherhood takes a ton of work to do a good job at. No one had ever tried to be a lawyer and a doctor at the same time. And so I don't think very many women can pull off being bivocational in that way. And yet uh, little girls are being told that they have to be everything. Because a lot of these women do want to be mothers eventually, uh, but they also have to be a career woman. And so why do we see exploding rates of depression and uh, alcohol and prescription drug abuse amongst women? Is because there is a load being put on a woman that no, no one could ever bear. And that's, I think, um, people think we have a low view of women. Not at all. We are trying, I want to create space for my wife to be feminine and to be awesome at what she does. And, um, I, I look at the check, I look at the check, the checking account, like once or twice a month, like I told, I have total trust in her and we sit down and do our vision. And, uh, she's, we've got a hundred chickens. Well, we did, we killed 50 of them. We're building our homestead out and she's in charge of like the, uh, executing the education of our children. Um, all this stuff takes a lot of research, a lot of time. And as a woman becomes an expert in what's close to her, she does venture out of the household more and more to expand its influence, like you see in Proverbs 31. People always ask me, do you think a woman can work outside the house? I say a godly woman will, right? But it's an extension of the household. It's not at the expense, like you say. And what are women doing in corporate America, but usually building up the emaciated household of a corporation for the glory of another man? And what are they going to get? Some little some little translucent worker of the month, you know, thing, trophy, you know, and I've worked for massive corporations. And when we fire someone, we're like, oh, that's too bad. Like we really do miss them. And then we hire another one. We move on with their life. If you are to be removed from your home, your children, your husband, if you should die or something like that, it will never be the same because that is the infinite value and worth that that woman has in that household. And these women are giving their best years and their brains and their smarts and their abilities to emaciated households by men who really don't care about them. And they will not be remembered. And their labor will not move on into the future in the same way it will when it exists in an intergenerational household of Christians raising Christians for on and on. Grandma's legacy is seen in her beautiful granddaughters who fear the Lord, who make beautiful granddaughters who fear the Lord, who make beautiful granddaughters who fear the night. So this is, so women are, they're, they're having their femininity stolen from them and wasted on corporations, just like men are having their masculinity wasted on stupid games and porn. Mm. Yeah, I think one of the biggest lies that feminists have which i can't stand which i absolutely despise is not only that women can have the best of both worlds but that they should and that's what i don't like i hate i can't stand that lie because it does it puts this unfair burden on the shoulder of women that no one not even a man could carry that sort of burden um and i don't like it at all i think it's incredibly destructive um and it leads to uh, a void, like it really does, like, which is why you said there's depression and there's anxiety and there's so many mental disorders. I think we've shifted so far from our inherited purposes and mm -hmm. the divine creation um, that, you know, we've, we've lost our way so much. But I wanted to sort of talk about, um, I guess, uh, in your book, you talk a lot about um, about sex and I'm not going to get too much into the nitty gritties with you with that, 
But I just wanted to talk about a point that you made in one of your chapters, which I found incredibly interesting. And I, after reading that chapter, I asked myself a question, oh, what would, what would he say if I asked this question? And then I read the next chapter, which I think was chapter four, um, and you answered my question, which was great. You sort of must have known where I was going with this. And that is that, you know, um, Satan, the father of lies, hates sex. And I remember listening to that going like, yes, I, I can see what you mean, but isn't like a lot of the degeneracy we're seeing around sex? Does it, doesn't it like, like you look at Roman uh, times and all the, you know, you read Romans, all the orgies, all the sex, all these things, you would think Satan loves sex. Wouldn't mm -hmm. that mean that? Um, but you sort of go into and explain why Satan actually hates sex. And I'd love for you, without me butchering it and trying to reword it, kind of explain to the audience why Satan, the father of lies, hates sex and sexual intimacy. Sure. So Satan is twist existing things. And really so does our sin nature, right? That's when you, you talk to Christians, Christians can be so prudish when it comes to sex. And so we've lost the conversation to secularists. And I'll talk to people um, who I, I that have great relationships, and I, and I talk about sex. And I talk to I talk about it in a kind of a blunt, almost clinical way, um, so we can have the conversation without it getting weird. Uh, but even that's too much for them, and they kind of Google and shut down, or giggle and shut down. And um, and I wonder, where do you think you're? Like when I sat down with my kids to ex uh, to explain sex with my older boys. I just walk them right through it. And I'm like, here's how the penis works. Here's what semen is. Here's what sperm is. Here's how, why this, well, this, you just walk right through. And now you know, my wife's going to have that talk with my daughter to explain periods and things. And I, I'm going to buy her uh, uh, flowers and some wine to say, I'm glad I don't have to have that one. But, um, <laughs> but just walk through and explain it to them and explain why, how God uses it. And like, yeah, it feels good because it's, it's to be shared with someone you love. Um, to be shared with someone like sex is uh, recreative um, in that it like it, it connects you and it's a procreative. It's a, it's productive and reproductive. It's productive in that it strengthens the bonds between two people. Um, it's reproductive in that it makes makes new people. What's the sort of sex that Satan encourages is none of those things. It's casual. It's um, it's going to be by its nature, usually not productive or not productive in because it doesn't lead or reproductive doesn't lead to children. And if it does, it leads to children outside of the home. And that creates chaos. Instead of like sex being an engine that drives um, the building and the creation of a household from which uh, well-adjusted, discipled, godly children will come from, it, it splits people apart and creates people that are unbalanced and are easy to be harnessed, pacified and destroyed if need be. Um, and so that's why Satan loves to twist sex and use it. But when it's, when, when sex is done right in, in the covenant of marriage, like sex brings great comfort and relief to a married couple. Like it, it, the hormones, the hormones that are released during physical sex are actually, they don't work the same way as when you do it through mas masturbation. They don't work the same way. And so uh, there's a relief that it brings to the couple. They, they comfort one each other. They, they're, they, they're drawn and closer. And, and then that in time leads to a child. And what is more, you know, scripture says a uh, man and woman become one flesh. What, what is a better example of one flesh than a, something made of both your DNAs, right? Like there's a whole new DNA from you two. And then those children exist in, in this household of your love that expands and that's what sex is supposed to do. When you have stable houses where the woman's being the woman and the mother and the wife and the man's being the man, the husband and the father, and children are growing up and all that, uh, those, those are powerful children, right? Whether they be women or men, they grow up to be powerful. Satan hates that because it, it, brings, it brings forth God's structure, God's design, God's order. And that's what dominion is. Dominion is expanding God's order to all things. Dominion is not domination, right? Domination is where you take something and go against its grain. So a good picture of this is think of Lord of the Rings. When Soromon is cutting down all the trees, he's destroying the trees and he's throwing them down and turning them into like 
these kind of machines, these weapon of warfare, as opposed to working alongside them, where you have the example of the ants, these big tree shepherds, um, that's going, dominion's going with nature. Another example is take factory farms. So I don't like factory farms because I don't like treating animals as if they're cogs in a machine. I don't treat animals humanely in the sense that they're humans. They're not, they're food. Um, they, they, they exist to, for us, their food or, or their an extension of dominion, but they're not, they are biological life. And when you treat a chicken, like it's a cog in the machine, you're not honoring God's, uh, design. That's domination. That's not good. Like, like dominating a woman in that sense is not good. Having dominion in your household is good because domination destroys nature. Dominion harnesses it. And, um, and so sex, uh, Satan's type of sex is domination. So think of BDSM. You want to, we're going, I don't know what I can get away with on this show, um, but I will. Okay. So uh, what BDSM is, is when you talk to women who are into BDSM, many of them were sexually abused. And what's happened is a woman wants to feel a strength of a man. She wants to know she's safe. Okay. So then the sexual strength of a man in her past led to harm, violation, abuse. And now all that's attached to her sexuality and her sexuality has been robbed from her and she doesn't have it. Now it's, it's defiled and it's attached to shame and, and fear and all that for a lot of women are they're attracted to BDSM and we know they are in mass because this take 50 shades of gray. It wasn't 54 million men that bought that book. I guarantee it. Um, why they're attracted to it is they get to feel the strength of a man, but now there's a safe word, right? So they're manufacturing the strength that should be felt in sex, but it's, it's, it's manufactured. It's going against its design. They're trying to get back to something natural. And the devil takes these things and he destroys them. And he gives you some like reduced version of it. And what I see when I look at the world, I see when I look at things like all the sexual perversions, there is a twistedness to of something good that people are trying to get to. But it doesn't, it doesn't like BDSM works just like pornography. It works the same way. It goes, it, it goes down darker and darker places because it usually starts in pretty mundane ways. If you actually understand it, it doesn't start with people in like leather and whips. It's, you know, and I didn't know anything about this world for a long time. Like I had no interest at all. Uh, but then I started getting into these counseling situations and much like you, I've worked as a liaison in child porn cases with the police here in the States um, and, and have uh, been br brought into some pretty horrific situations um, and so the devil is interested in like stealing, breaking, giving um, uh, counterfeits that don't, don't actually lead to wellness. And BDSM is a one example of that. Homosexuality is another. Homosexuality at the key of it, at the core of it, I think, is a desire for male love, for the love of a father, for the approval of men. And it's been eroticized. Um, for various reasons. And, uh, and so when you look at all these twistings at the, at the core of these, there's something good that the devil's destroyed and, and twisted. And so he hates sex in that way, but he knows it's so powerful. It's such a powerful drive in us um, for a long time that he's not going to let it be. He's going to try to use it. And he does, he does. Samson, Delilah. I mean, you can look right down the line. Yeah. Another example of that you used of people in the Bible was um, Nehemiah and Absalom, and you sort of versed them against each other and showed the difference between them. And I was hoping you could maybe explain um, for people who haven't read your book yet, um, make sure you read it. But um, if you could kind of explain um, the, the difference between those two men and what that means to what it, being a man. Yeah. So Absalom is the son of the king, David. And he, uh, his dad's getting old and he wants to take over for his father. And, um, and the way he does it is that he would show up at the, the gates of the city every day 
And, and that's where you would have judgments where people, you kind of try your courts, the elders of the courts. And he, was, and he would say to them like, what's going on? What's your problem? And then he would listen to them and he would say, you're right and just, he'd take their side and he would even uh, lay his hand on them. And, and then it said, and this is the means by which he stole away the heart of Israel. And so he was their advocate. And so you can look at Absalom, and from that, you can learn a pretty good strategy, actually. I, and so we would compare Jordan Peterson to an Absalom. But uh, what we would say is that not all of them have the same desire. In the case with Absalom, though, is he was trying to uh, use the men to get his uh, position of authority. And he didn't have true concern for them as much as he did for power and recognition. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we have in a lot of these people. Nehemiah is one of the more fascinating men in all scripture because he's, you know, he's high up over in the Babylonian. He's underneath what Darius or Xerxes. I forget which one. Um, and then he hears what's going on in Israel that there's no, or Jerusalem doesn't have any walls and he's broken. He says, Hey, I'm going to go do this. Here's my mission. And, uh, and then when I'm finished, I'll come back. And that's exactly what he does. He's amazing. Like, I love that he just shows up, gets it done, and then he goes back to doing what, it, what he is. And uh, the difference is that he actually wants to help the men. He leads the men. He's not using them for power or authority. He's doing it for the glory of God, for the good of Jerusalem. And, and, and that the proof of that is that he goes back to his previous post. And so what we have in Absalom is a guy that uses men for his glory. And what we have in Nehemiah is a guy that, that gives men the leadership to be the men that God's calling them to be, to rebuild the walls. And I love where he says, you know, take up your, your, your sword and your trowel and, and fight for your families. Uh, and it's a beautiful picture. And this is a guy that not saying fight for me. He's saying fight for your families. You know, let's do this for the glory of God. That's what we need is we need more male leaders that are helping men uh, to to repent, but also leading them practically in how to get things done. And that's what that guy does. And, he, and he's willing, he goes at them hard because some of them are in uh, religiously messed up uh, marriages and he tells them they have, they have to put away their wife. And so that's what we need. We need Nehemiahs that Absalom's and, and Nehemiahs care about the kingdom of God first. And, and they're trying to build up that kingdom and they're not trying just to build up their own kingdom. That's all Absalom was about, just like the devil. Mm. Yeah, I loved the examples that you gave. I'd never really, uh, like I, I know of both of them, obviously, but I'd never really looked at them side by side as contrasting men and looked at it from that perspective. So I really appreciated that insight and I really uh, enjoyed seeing it that way. Um, it was really helpful to sort of understand um you know, how a man uh, should be, especially why he does the things he does, as you said, for the glory of his family, for the glory of God um, and and for his purposes. Um, I wanted to sort of touch on a quote that you said as well, um, which I found really profound. And that was, whoever controls the men controls the culture. And I thought that's that's really fascinating and really interesting. And I wanted to ask you a question. Who do you think at the moment is controlling the men? I think, honestly, I think it's, and I didn't have this in my mind when I first wrote the book, but it's, it's the guys making the media. It's who controls the men right now. The people making the movies, uh, the people telling the stories. Uh, we, so here in America, we, so Texas once was its own country. And there's always talk about Texas splitting, like you hear it from time to time. And it's not going to happen, but you hear it. And I always point out to people, like, we're going down to Texas. And when America becomes like Australia, we'll split off. And I'll <laughs> say, I always tell them, though, you're going to have a different Netflix. You're going to have a different. It's How do we lose? How do we lose the men? Was it by a gun? Did they force us into camps? It was, we gave up the culture. We gave up the stories. We lost our homes. Um, and now the way we think about things, we think about it through the stories that the pagans tell and not through 
scripture, not through godly um, media, whether it be books or podcasts or, but the, the prime, the people that are affecting us is the media. Like, so I tell people, stop, stop listening to the news. I haven't listened to the news. Who cares? Like Delta variant, I guarantee it'll be a different variant in a month. And it was. And then Ukraine. It was like the Ukraine variants, what I called Ukraine. Like they all want us to think about Ukraine. You know, if I don't, what can I do about the Ukraine? What, thoughts and prayers? Good vibes centered that way? I, what, what can I do about the Ukraine? I can do almost nothing. I, I, I pray for, I prayed for them. And then I went back to my life. Why do they always want us to be somewhere else? than where we're actually at in our hearts, in our mind, you watch the news stations and everything's alert, alert, alert. Why are they always wanting us so uptight and so um, caught up with something that's happening other than where God's put us. And so God's put us in a time and place and you need to be there and you need to start culture there. And so how do we start culture? Well, culture emanates from the household and who's the head of the household. It's the father. And when you see your kid behaving in a way that you don't like, pause and ask, is that because of me? And one of my sons was questioning the existence of God. So I'm away at a conference. I'm teaching at this conference. <laughs> you know, I'm a Christian leader, a pastor that's got his life in order, teaching on masculinity. And, uh, and one of my sons calls me. He has all these questions. He's young. And we had just gone through kind of a really hard time as we moved from one place to where we're at currently. And um, so he, he gave me all his answer questions and they're super easy for me to answer. But you know what? What I thought about is that this is really not about these things. It's, I haven't spent a lot of time with them because uh, I've been busy. And what I need to do when I get home is I don't need to like have an apologetic study with them. I just need to hang out with them more and spend time with them. And now this kid is like a raging anti-evolution apologist kid and reading his Bible. And, and, um, and he didn't feel loved and he was questioning the love of the, of God, the father, because his earthly father, he didn't feel loved by me. And the, we created this problem by not creating Christian culture at our home. We have to start at the home. We have to build godly practices, read the Bible. You know, Deuteronomy 6 talks about this. I'm preaching on it this Sunday. Uh, We should be singing scripture. We should be talking about scripture. We should uh, use things like Nehemiah, Absalom, David, Samuel, whatever. We should use these as examples to teach stories to our children we need to be reading good Christian stories. There's not lots of them these days, but you do got G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, Andy Wilson's writing some really good stuff. We need to bathe our family in, in a Christian worldview. You know, if our Christians, you know, these homeschool families, like homeschool their kids, and still the prominent stories that they're being taught in a captivating way is through Marvel. You know, and Marvel just keeps getting woker and woker all the time. And we stopped watching it, you know, and it, we tried to watch Obi-Wan Kenobi, but the pr- little Princess Leia is so precocious. Like my kids, we just stopped caring. And so I think whoever controls the media right now is controlling the way that we think about things. And so, and I mean media kind of in a big way, news, books, movies, um, that's what we have to change. That's why this is, you know, it's hard. We need the Lord, man, because uh, we are a, we're, we've lost a lot. And to regain this is going to take the Lord. uh, It's going to take some time and God working through his people in some amazing ways, which he does. He does it all the time. So I'm not worried about it, but, but it is, we're in an intense situation. Hmm. Yeah. I definitely think that, um, you know that our culture at the moment is a is a ref- is a big reflection on how degenerate we've come how far we have 
fallen. Um, you only have to look outside the four walls of your home just to see the decay and the rot that's infesting in our societies. And I think if you break the home, you break the nation. And that's what we're seeing. There are so many broken homes, like you mentioned. Um, and I think as Christians, it's so important that we protect the four walls of our home and that we protect it and guard it with every every bit of ourselves because from there is where uh good fruit will be born and as you said you, your household can then go out into the world and it can be an extension of your home um, and that's i think that's the way that we combat these culture wars that we're seeing right now as you said turn off the rot and invest in your children and in in their sanctification um but you know it, it's one of those things as well that um will take time as you said we, we're in a really bad spot right now but i think that it's a it's a hopeful spot i think that we're going through a great leveling i think that a lot of the west we're nations under his judgment i mean we can only mock God for so long before he's going to judge us for that. And, you know, something that John Calvin once said was, um, if you want to judge a nation, you're going to give them bad leaders. And I don't think that just translates into the political spectrum. I think that can also go to church leaders and it can also go to fathers and husbands and men because they're our leaders. And we are I think under judgment of that right now, but I'm so glad that there are people like you who are out there giving leaders, men, um, you know, godly alternatives to the culture wars and pointing them back to scripture, pointing them back to God's inherited nature and his inherited purpose for us. So I'm, <clears throat> I loved your book. As a Thank woman, you. I even loved reading it. Um, and um, I was really excited to have you on here. If, if you could say any last bit of advice or just piece of wisdom to, to men or women who might be watching this today, I'd love to just give you an opportunity to kind of just say something that might be on, on your heart or, or your spirit about the topic of what it means to be a man. Uh, I mean, what I would, I would, what I, I it's the title of the book. Like God has made you, if God has made you male, embrace your maleness. It's part, it's good. Don't feel ashamed of it. And uh, what I what I really despise about our society is it makes men ashamed of being male and women ashamed of being feminine, being, you know, and feminism tells women you got to be more like men to be of value. It's not true at all. Like, uh, I'm so glad that my wife is feminine. I don't want more masculine or I don't want to be married to a masculine woman. She brings so much more to my household. It's beautiful. She's different. And I would say God has embraced the God-given sex that you have. And don't feel ashamed about it. Don't listen to this culture. Go back to scripture, read it, study it. There's a lot of good books. Wilson's written a lot of books. Um, there's what what we've written. You can, it's on Amazon still somehow. You can get it there. I know you said you had a, a, a book a store that you'll recommend that they can get it at or perhaps through you. But what I just will tell people is like, don't, God has made you to do these things. And so, and I tell guys, you can do it because God made you to do it. God made you to preside over a household. God made you to protect. He made you to provide. It's your design. Just like with a, a screwdriver, a screwdriver can unscrew or screw in screws because that's its design. You, you can do these things. Like, um, with women, when they're scared to have children, what they need to be reminded, and we've had eight, Emily and I, and, um, and she is, she's amazing, but uh, she, she's so good. Um, when we did home births, one, one of the key things to home birth for a woman is she has to be confident that her body is designed to do this. So she doesn't freak out <laughs> like, like, because it gets intense as, as you know. And, um, and what I would say is that, uh, what was key to a woman in that is like, God made me to do this, right? God made these hormones and all these things. And that gives her the confidence. God has made you to get your household in order. Don't, don't believe the weakness of your flesh. Don't believe the devil. Mm. You can do these things. Um, the whole, and if you're a Christian, you have the Holy spirit who enables you to live in a righteous way and just take small steps. Where do you start? People always say, where do you start? One of the things that Jordan Peterson has said, that's really helpful is make your bed. And so small little steps of dominion in your life, just start doing that. 
start taking those. Um, if you're a woman, start at, like if you want to deal with feminism, start uh, embracing like deference to men and being respectful. Um, and and also just falling in love with the things. It's okay to love children. It's okay to want to look pretty and dress. Like stop feeling ashamed of those things. And that's why I just say, God's embrace what God's made you and read scripture and pray and all the other things any other pastor would probably tell you, I'll tell you. Hmm. Yeah, I loved how you sort of wrote in your book, you know, that the female movement and the male movement, they just kind of need to be scrapped. We need to just have a movement that basically breaks people free of the shackles of this gender identity thing and that men can be men and women can be women. I loved how you articulated that in your book and how you kind of sent that message um, and it kind of eradicates all that toxicity around femininity and masculinity, which I actually don't think exists inherently. I think masculinity by its very nature is not toxic and cannot be toxic. Genesis 2.15, you know, that's that's masculinity basically in a, in a very mm. condensed form. And it's the lack of masculinity that makes a man toxic, just like it's the lack of femininity that makes a woman toxic by nature. So I love how you kind of, captured that throughout um, the book. And as you mentioned, um, if anybody in Australia wants a copy of the book, um, it is good to be a man, please send me a message, um, evelyn at cauldronpool.com. We have a whole heap here that you can buy. Um, and, you know, I, I'll just let you finish off, uh, Michael, if you wanted to go into where they could get it from yourself um, and where they can follow your works, your podcasts, your social media accounts, because I guarantee you that there's a void and people want to follow it and sort of stay in touch with it. Yeah, I'm most active on This Is Foster on Twitter, T-H-I-S-I-S-F-O-S-T-E-R. Um, that's where you'll see most of the stuff. Uh, we are actually gearing up to release a bunch of new podcast episodes. Um, and so that's on iTunes, Stitcher, it's same name. It's good to be a man. So podcast addict, whatever, you can find them out there. And uh, because we're prepping for a follow-up book, more on marriage um, that we're trying to work through, we just want to make sure we're not recreating what already exists. So I was going through Reforming Marriage the other day, which is a great book on marriage by Doug Wilson, and saying, what did he not tackle that we should tackle and making sure there's enough content? And we think there is. Uh, so you can listen to those uh, podcast episodes on there. There's 71 and some more coming. And uh, it's good to be a man.com. We have some articles up there. We, we don't put as many new articles, but we have a weekly newsletter that goes out every Saturday. And uh, that's where you'll find a lot of our content. So there's a few places to connect. Oh, and buy the book. I just say Amazon, go to Canon Press. Um, if, you, if you're going to buy a physical one, you can try to do it there. Uh, if you're listening stateside, uh, if you're over, I'd say um, you buy it from Amazon. I know they're part of the evil empire, but when you buy it from Amazon and Kindle, it moves our book up in the ratings and gives us more visibility to a broad, broader audience. And so it is. It does help us reach people you normally wouldn't reach. A lot of weird people reading my book. Like Muslims are reading it. I get emails from them. Like I've had a lot of Mormons reach out to me. Um, a lot of non-Christians. So it's cool to see it reach an audience. A lot of women. Uh, way more women read this book than I ever imagined my entire life. And to have their questions and insight is so helpful as an author to to think. Oh, I didn't think it would be taken that way. Um, so when you do buy it from Amazon, it gives it greater visibility. And we've been in the top 10 of, of, of the men's category now for, for a year almost. Um, and we were like number one for like six months and I praise the Lord. I never imagined that in a, in a million years. So there's a few places. That's amazing. I think that's testament in itself that there is a void and you're giving people tangible solutions, something to point to. So incredible work. And I really appreciate you taking the time out today to join me on the show and to give me your helpful insights. And I really do hope people watching can go follow you, can buy your book, because I guarantee you hand to heart, it will change the way that you look at men and it will change the way you look at women and the specific and unique godly roles of each. So thanks again for joining me today, Michael. Thank you. God bless.